Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to Eagle Brook Church. Welcome to everyone across the Twin Cities or wherever you're joining us from online. We know lots of you join us from across the country, across the world, and we're so grateful that you're with us. But today, I'm glad you're all with us because we are in the third week of a series called Faith That Works. We've been studying a book of the Bible called James, found in the New Testament, written by the half-brother of Jesus. And James took everything he knew about Jesus what his teaching, death, and resurrection meant to our faith and made it work for our everyday lives. Today's message is titled, Tame the Tongue, because it comes from James chapter three, verses seven through eight, where James writes this, people can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Now, James doesn't offer a lot of hope here, does he? I mean, no one can tame the tongue. I looked up the original Greek just to make sure that no one meant no one. It turns out it does, not one person. And I can tell you that I am one of those no ones because this has been a huge issue for me personally. So if no one can tame the tongue, we should just all go home, right? Not so fast. Because while James says it is impossible to never say anything hurtful or sinful again, it is possible to get better with our words, and that's what we're gonna do today. But just to prove how true this scripture is, let me tell you about what unfolded in my home a couple of Monday mornings ago. It was 7.45 a.m. I'd set out my Bible, opened up my computer, and laid out my message notes, my research notes, to begin writing this message. Now, normally I wouldn't write at home, but I had to stay at home for about an hour or so um, for our kids. And at the same time, our two kids, Maddox, who's six, and Marley, who's two, were on the couch using their iPads for screen time, as we call it. Now, Maddox loves watching shows like Dude Perfect on YouTube, but this will inevitably send him down the vortex known as YouTube, and if you're a parent of young kids, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Well, that morning, he stumbled upon a show that had a few inappropriate words. And so my wife, Emily, probably with a sharper tongue than she needed to, said, what are you watching? Turn that off right now. Maddox, surprised by her tone, reacted with tears and cries of, it wasn't my fault. Marley, who calls Maddox go-go, started taunting go-go by saying, go-go crying, go-go crying. And of course, this sent Maddox into more of a flurry, who then yelled at Marley and ripped the iPad from her hands, because as you know, misery loves company. So there, we've got two kids who are scream crying on the floor this Monday morning. And Emily, she comes over to me and tries to make light of the situation, smiles and, and says, good times, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> See, I was trying to write this message. I was frustrated. I was not having a good time. So instead of just laughing it off with her, I said, you know, Emily, you could have said something nicer to Maddox. Now, let me tell you something, young married couples. <laughs> Don't you ever decide it's time to lecture your spouse during peak moments of chaos. <laughs> Because needless to say, my words only fueled the family crisis that was unfolding that Monday mor morning. Well, here's the irony. Because no kidding, at that moment, during peak moments of chaos, a company called Varmint Guard, yes, Varmint Guard, called to let us know that they were five minutes away from our house. To give you a little context, about a month ago, Emily stumbled upon a dead salamander in our basement freaked out and subsequently refused to ever step foot into our basement again. 
It didn't help when uh, later on that week we found three more dead salamanders plus a couple of frogs, one of which was alive. So her refusal to go in the basement only turned into threats. She said, John, you better get someone over here to get those reptiles or I'm moving out. And she didn't clarify whether that was with or without me. And I didn't have the heart to tell her that salamanders are in fact not reptiles, they're amphibians, but I decided to just leave that, you know, anyways. <laughs> but the irony of that Monday morning was that this was my assigned scripture verse. This is what I was sitting down to write about, so now I can vouch. It is way easier to tame reptiles than it is to tame our tongues because Varmint Guard Man, he found four entry points, sealed those up. We haven't seen those nasty creatures since. But we have been unable to tame our tongues and prevent family crisis and fights like these ones. Now, a couple hours later, after all of this unfolded and things had calmed down, I said, Emily, I've got to tell this story. God was giving me all this as I was writing this. We were fighting because of our words. Can I tell this story? And she said, sure, you can tell it. As long as you tell them I did nothing wrong. <laughs> tame the tongue, tame the tongue, tame the tongue. <laughs> no, it's a good thing I'm speaking on taming our tongues because I have done a lot of work in my own life around this topic. Why? Because it's one of my greatest weaknesses. To most, I come across as an easygoing, mild-mannered, encouraging guy, and most of the time, that's true. But when anger, exhaustion, or frustration boils over, I find it nearly impossible to prevent myself from saying something mean or hurtful. With my words, I've caused more damage, I've done more harm, and I've embarrassed myself by my words more than by anything else. I've been ejected from all levels of sports. I got ejected as a little leaguer because of my mouth in high school and college. I've said mean things to my wife and my kids, both in public and in private. I've emailed colleagues, posted things online that I immediately regretted. See, taming the tongue has been and will be a lifelong battle for me. Now, I, I hate to bring you into this with me, but I can almost 100% guarantee that every single person here struggles with their words, I mean, without raising any hands, you ever lied, ever gossiped, ever said something you wish you hadn't, ever boasted, demeaned, said something that was hurtful. I mean, James says no one can tame the tongue, no one. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. And James isn't alone in his assessment either. Because scripture speaks numerous times to the untamable and immense power of our words. Solomon, one of the wisest men to ever live, he wrote this in Proverbs. He said, the tongue has the power of life or death. See, countless times a day, you and I are faced with a choice to speak words of life or words of death. A carefully chosen word can change a person's future. It can save a friendship or prevent a family fight. But a harmful word can ruin a reputation. It can destroy a relationship or it can demolish a career. And in today's world, it's not just what you say either. It's what you text. It's what you email. It's what you post online. Every word leads to life or death. See, James is raising the alarm. And he's making it clear, every word matters. So the time I got left, I wanna show you three reasons why every word matters. And at the end, I wanna offer just a few suggestions on how we can go about taming 
our tongues, all right? So first reason why every word matters. Words direct your life. James gives a few examples of how words give direction to our lives. He used these examples to illustrate this point. And he says, a bit in the mouth of a horse controls the whole horse. A small rudder on a huge ship in the hands of a skilled captain sets a course in the face of the strongest winds. A word out of your mouth, it might seem of no account, but it can accomplish nearly anything or destroy it. See, what's James saying here? He's saying that just like a small bit can direct a thousand pound horse and a tiny rudder can steer a huge ship, tongues have the power to give direction to our lives. Let me ask you, can you think of a moment when someone said something mean or hurtful to you? I wanna give you just a second to, to bring that moment to mind. For most of us, it's pretty easy to remember these words because they are painfully seared into our memories. Did these words maybe change the course, the direction of your life? Maybe at a teacher who told you weren't smart enough. And those words prevented you from graduating high school, trying to go to college, or maybe even change the course of the career you were pursuing. Maybe you had a parent who, who always made you feel like you weren't good enough. You know, the lawn wasn't ever cut right. The dishes weren't ever put away correctly. Your achievements were never good enough. And now you have that I'm not good enough voice playing over and over in your head. And maybe it's prevented you from going where you wanted to go in life. Maybe you've been called things like ugly, selfish, stupid. Whatever it is, those negative words have caused a death in your soul. And it changed the direction of your life. On the flip side, let me ask you, can you remember a moment when someone said something significant, meaningful, or encouraging to you? Maybe even a moment that, that did change the course of your life. This was easy for me to remember growing up. My favorite part of elementary school was recess. No surprise there. And in third grade, back in Longview, Washington, we had three recess times, two 15-minute ones and a 30-minute one. In today's schools, they almost always just have one recess time, and you wonder, what's the world coming to, you know? It's because of that. <laughs> Anyways, I, during recess, I loved organizing games of baseball, basketball, football, soccer, didn't matter. But eventually, those normal games became boring to me as a third grader, so I decided to take those normal games and combine them into one, games like dodge basketball where it was invented, you know, where you threw balls at one another while shooting baskets, or my personal favorite, tackle kickball. Needless to say, this, this didn't go over well with our teachers, so Mr. Lemire, who was my teacher at the time, decided to keep all the third grade boys in from recess for an entire week. Of course, this felt like a prison sentence to third grade boys. But during the week, someone ratted me out, and he found out that I was, in fact, the ringleader and organizer of these recess games. But to this day, and probably for the rest of my life, I will never forget what he said to me. Because instead of chewing me out, he looked right at me and said, John, you clearly have influence. You are a leader. And I believe you can use that influence and leadership for the good. The question is, will you? Will you step up and be that kind of leader? Man, I believe in that moment, God used those words to affect the direction of my life. Because from then on, I thought to myself, as a leader, I'm a leader. 
And I have tried to use that leadership, that influence for the greater good. Mr. Lemire's words changed and affected the direction of my life. It's easy for us, I think, typically, to remember the words, to think of the words that other people used about us to change the direction of our lives. But what about the words you use with yourself? Because if you were to take just a snapshot of the kind of words you spoke to or thought of about yourself, what would those words say? Would they be words of death? Words like, I can't, I'm no good, I'm a failure. Or the words of life? Words like, I can. God has given me everything I need. With God's help, I am more than enough. Take a moment to think about the words that you have spoken to yourself because as James says, a word can accomplish nearly anything or destroy it. That's true of the words others use about you and it's true of the words you use about yourself. I don't remember who first said it, but I used to keep a quote on my wall growing up that said, whether you say you can or say you can't, you're right. To be clear, I'm not advocating some sort of name it, claim it scheme. If you've heard teachers talking about, if you just say it, God's gonna give it to you. That's unbiblical and untrue. God's not a genie in a bottle. Here's what is true. Words will give direction to your life. So as you reflect on those words, make sure that you're speaking words of life to yourself, okay? Second reason why every word matters, words start fires. James uses a third example to illustrate the power of our words. He says a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. This summer, there were 27 massive forest fires burning 180,000 acres and 4,200 square miles across the United States, destroying roughly the size of Connecticut. And as you are well aware, there are many forest fires happening right now, many of those in Northern California, and we are praying for those to cease to stop. And we don't know how all of these forest fires started, but they were all sparked by something, and maybe something as small as this flame. This flame has the potential to set a whole forest on fire. And then it's the combination of heat, oxygen, and fuel called the fire triangle that causes forest fires to spread. When these three elements come together, there's a reaction of spark and flame that becomes unpredictable, difficult to stop, erratic. And to make his point, James writes this. He said, among all parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It can set your whole life on fire. Simply put, a single word can be the spark, the element, the reason that your whole life gets set on fire. I mean, think about it. With your words, you either land or lose a job. The baseball coach I played for in college recently lost his job because of saying inappropriate things to another player. At the age of 45, a very successful career, including a national championship, his college baseball coaching career is essentially over. He had to move his family to another state just to try to rebuild his reputation and start over. I feel awful for him, but they couldn't fire just his mouth. His words destroyed his career. If you're dating or married, every word will either build or tear apart your relationship. Every word will set your marriage on fire, good or bad. And to be clear, you want good 
fires in a marriage. If you are a teacher, every word will alter for good or bad the future of those students in your care. I recently read an article where teachers in Minnesota are leaving the profession in droves because of burnout. They feel underappreciated. And if you are a teacher here, let me just say to you, we need you. We need you to speak words of life to our students. God bless you. And if you're a teenager or young adult, every word will, will build or destroy trust that you are building up with your parents. Every single word has the potential to spark your life and set it on fire. So why not use those words to spark life-giving fires as often as possible? Um, I love my son Maddox, six-year-old. I love him. But throughout the course of a day, he can frustrate me like no other. He is extremely persistent, intense, and emotional. Because of that, I can say things that can be cutting and hurtful because I'm also extremely persistent, intense, and emotional. You know how that goes. But no matter what is said during the course of a day, when it comes time for bedtime, I have the chance to speak words of life to him. And almost every night, we, we read a couple of chapters from a book, currently Ralph S. Mouse. Read a couple of chapters from the Children's Illustrated Bible, the same Bible that was read to me growing up. We've read through it a few times. And then I pray out loud over him because I want him to hear the words that I'm saying to God on his behalf. And at the very end, I ask him to look me in the eyes. And I say, Maddox, you have what it takes. I believe in you. God has great plans for your life. And then right at the end, I stole this last part from Pastor Bill Hybels in, in Chicago, Willow Creek. I've been saying it for the last two years to my son, and now you can steal it from me. Our kids will never know, okay? But I say, Maddox, if I lined up all the little boys in the entire world, do you wanna know who I choose to be my son every single time? And he says, who, Dad? I say, you. I love you. God loves you. See, I want the last words that my son hears to be full of life before he closes his eyes. He's gonna hear enough junk during the course of the day. Now, I've got a six-year-old. <laughs> I can't guarantee what kind of fires these are gonna set off in his life, but I'm doing my best to spark life-giving ones. So quick time out to ask yourself, what kind of fires are you sparking with your words? I mean, husbands, you, your wives need to hear you say, you are more than enough for me. I love you just the way you are. Wives, your husbands need to hear you say, thank you for everything you do. I appreciate you. I respect you, parents. Your kids need to hear you say, I believe in you. God has great plans for your life. Kids, you don't think your parents need to hear life-giving words? They do. Say, thank you for everything you do for me. I can't believe how much junk you put up with to raise me, and you probably won't say that till you become a parent and realize, but try it now. <laughs> Bosses, CEOs, leaders, the people who work for you need to hear some version of, I am behind you. You can do it. And I know this looks different in every context, but one of my bosses, Bob Merritt, you probably know him, <laughs> he texted me this, yesterday morning at 10 a.m. as I was preparing to preach yesterday. He said, great church day, John. I've been praying for you all week. It's gonna be fantastic. 
I am so grateful for you. I will be there to cheer you on. Go in God's power. And then he signs his name Bob because he doesn't understand that I can see that it's from him every time. But <laughs> that's beside the point. <laughs> but these words breathe life into people. His words breathed life into me yesterday. And to be clear, and Bob being probably a perfect example of this, does taming your tongue always mean that you pat someone on the back and use soft, positive words with them? Of course not. As Christ followers, our role as bosses and leaders, as parents, as family and friends is to also tell the truth. And to tell the truth, there has to be room for criticism, correction, rebuke, and teaching. Otherwise, we're not being truthful. We're not being helpful, and we're not making people better. Now, maybe I don't know this for certain because I haven't lived a lot of years, but it seems like as a society, we have lost our ability to have civil, corrective, truth-telling conversations with one another. And I think the challenge for all of us is to speak these words of truth in love. And I don't always do this well, but when I do, my tone is calm. My words are thoughtfully chosen. And the person receiving the words can tell them that I am speaking to them in love. In Ephesians, Paul writes this fantastic verse. He says, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful. That can be telling the truth. That can be delivering correction, teaching. Those things are good and helpful. He said, so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. These words, good and helpful, are so key. So next time you're gonna post something, text something, email something, say anything, just ask yourself this question. Is it going to be good and helpful? Because good or bad, your tongue is a tiny spark that can set your whole life on fire. So make sure you're setting off life-giving ones. Third reason, final reason why every word matters, your words reveal what's inside. You know, the way you speak is ultimately a heart issue. The words that you are using are just revealing what's inside. That's why James says, sometimes the tongue, it praises our Lord and Father. We can be here in church, say all the right things, sing all the right things, but then and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. Then we go to work on Monday and we are blasted off. And that's frustrating. It's frustrating for me. It's frustrating for me to see other people do that. But James is just acknowledging what's true of almost all of us. We do both. Blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. And he's wondering, how does this even happen? And he asks this question. He said, does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh water and bitter water? I mean, it shouldn't, but it does. Because the frustrating thing is that even for those who put their faith in Christ, we're still gonna battle sin, and that sin is gonna wage its war inside of our hearts. And in turn, that, that sin that's waging its war in here is gonna bubble up and spew out of our mouths. So if suddenly you find anger, resentment, bitterness, hatred spewing out, that's actually a sign that something's out of alignment in here. There's some soul work to be done. That's why Jesus says this. What you say flows from what is in your heart. 
words you speak are just reflecting what's in here. So if we're ever gonna get better with what you say, if we're ever gonna get better with our words, then we need God to change our hearts. Beyond that, James actually, he doesn't offer a lot of solutions. It's the frustrating thing about reading this passage. The very end of it, he says, we all make many mistakes for if we could control our tongues, which he's already said we can't, we would be perfect, which we aren't, and we could also control ourselves in every other way. We can't be perfect. We can't completely control our tongues. So what now? <laughs> what are we supposed to do now? How do we get better with our words? Because we do think it's possible to get better with our words. How do we control this thing that James says is nearly uncontrollable? Well, let me offer two suggestions. Things that we can all take away to just get better with our words. And the first one is this, go after the root, which is your heart. The last thing I want you to do is to leave here and think, I just gotta get better with my words. I just gotta say, no, what you need is God to change your heart. For those who put their faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit is actively at work trying to transform your heart. He has given you the power necessary to not completely tame the tongue, but to overcome that sin and get better with the words that you use. It is possible. So here's a simple application. I want you to pray this prayer the psalmist David prayed and try praying it every day this week. He said, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, the things I'm chewing on, the things I'm thinking about, be pleasing to you, O Lord. And we've tried to make this as easy as possible for you. If you go to eaglebrookchurch.com, you can download this verse. I already have on my phone. I've been praying it the last couple of days in preparation. Download it to your phone, save it as a screensaver. You can download it at work, on your desktop, your iPad. If you don't know how to do any of those things, then just memorize it. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord. Try praying that every day this week. The second thing, think about the destructive fires that you have potentially started with your words and then stop them. How? By offering two of the most powerful words in the English language. I'm sorry. Do whatever it takes to get these two words across to the person that you have hurt with your words. Maybe a final story will deliver this point home. My wife, Emily, she loves to shop at thrift stores, consignment shops, garage sales. It's not an exaggeration to say that Basically, everything we own is second, third, who knows how many hands, hats, clothes, furniture, shoes, doesn't matter to us, which is why when we do buy something new, it's a really big deal. So this summer, I decided I want a pair of white Nike tennis shoes. But even when we buy something new, you know, we, we try to never pay full price. So on the Nike website, I found these white Nike tennis shoes that were on clearance, plus I had an additional 40% off. So in total, I paid $35 for these shoes, which I get it, okay? It, that is not a tremendous amount of money, but for a cheapskate like me, um, this was a really big deal. So the first night that I wore them was to the Vikings preseason summer game with my friends Charlie, Bo, and Jeff. Charlie was given his company tickets to sit in one of the suites, so 
During the second quarter, we were gathering up our free nachos, free hot dogs, and free shrimp cocktails. While my friend Bo was holding shrimp cocktail sauce, got bumped by someone, and that shrimp cocktail sauce landed on the floor and splattered all over my brand new shoes. No big deal, I thought, no big deal. I wiped, wiped it up, and went along my way, but it wasn't until I got home that I realized I missed an entire side of one of my shoes somehow. So for the entire second half, this shrimp cocktail sauce had dried and crusted on one of my shoes. I took a picture of it, actually, I'll explain why in a second, but here it is, all over my brand new shoes. Now, side note, I can be a bit obsessive. So that night I went home from 11 p.m. to 2 a.m. and I Googled how to get stains out of white Nike tennis shoes. You would be shocked at how many articles and blogs there are about this very subject. But I tried dish soap. I tried pet and laundry stain remover. I washed them not once, but twice in the washing machine. I scrubbed, I scraped, I took a picture to send to one of my friends to ask for his help, and nothing was working. So I went to bed, but I didn't sleep well. Remember, I'm a bit obsessive. So I woke up the next morning, and I went straight to Target when it opened at 7 a.m. And at Target, I bought magic erasers. These are great if you have kids. I bought this little bleach pen. I bought a Sharpie, and then I bought a bottle of Whiteout. <clears throat> This was my final attempt, okay? So at 7.15 a.m., <laughs> seems like I'm exaggerating. I wish I was because this is embarrassing. But at 7.15 a.m., I'm standing in the Target bathroom, and I am scrubbing and scraping with everything I've got. At one point, a Target employee came in and just turned around and walked out. Didn't know what to do. But nothing was working. My obsessive tendencies were so out of control, I finally texted my wife, Emily, and I said, my brain feels broken. Please help me. I can't get this stain out. And with all the empathy she could muster, she wrote back, just get over it. <laughs> so I knew I had to turn the page. So as a last resort, I'm out in the Target parking lot at this point. I'm standing behind my car with the trunk open, and I decided to paint these shoes with a bottle of whiteout. <laughs> And I'm here to tell you, it worked. <laughs> These are my shoes. Look at them. They look brand new. If I hadn't said anything, you would have never known that there were a few thick coats of whiteout on here covering up shrimp cocktail sauce. I'm so proud of myself. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Here's the thing. There's lots of things I could probably talk about, but <laughs> here's the thing. If I am willing to obsess and do whatever it takes to cover up stains on my shoes, what about the stains I've caused with my words? I mean, am I willing to do whatever it takes to cover up those stains, the damage I have done with my words? And I get it. Parts of those stains will always remain. Words, both good and bad, they can't ever be completely undone or taken back. I'm always gonna know there's shrimp cocktail sauce on there. And by the way, I want to speak to the people who are carrying around the stains from another person. And that's, that's not what this message is about, but I, I can't help but think about the people who have felt permanently damaged by another person's words. 
And maybe you've been waiting and waiting and waiting for these people to do something. And maybe they just never will. Maybe they're gone or maybe that's just not in their nature. And I'm sorry. At the end, I'm gonna pray for God to remove those stains because that's a lot to carry in life. But for the rest of us, for the people that we've damaged with our words, and and we've all got someone in mind, or we will have someone where it happens to them, there is still something to be done. So my final challenge is this, do whatever it takes. Do whatever it takes to cover up those stains. Ask yourself, who's that person you need to call? You need to text, you need to have a conversation with and lead with these two words, I'm sorry. I've seen these two words restore reputations, bring families back together, repair broken relationships and change the course of marriages. There is power in those two words, I'm sorry. And I get it, maybe you've felt like you've already said it. Say it again. And again, sometimes those fires aren't easy to put out. Sometimes those stains take a little extra effort. Own up to the stains that you've caused and say, I'm sorry. And then remember, I hope you remember, as you go about your week, every word matters. So make sure that you are speaking words life. That, let's all stand for closing prayer across all campuses. Heavenly Father, we stand here and recognize that we are an imperfect people. We sin, we mess up, we say the wrong things, we do the wrong things, and yet, God, you forgive us. You are a God of grace and mercy and forgiveness. And you sent your son Jesus to die for us, even though we would still continue to sin. And so for all of us here, for the words that we are gonna use this week, for the words we write and say, the words we communicate in any form and fashion, God, remind us to tame our tongues this week and ask ourselves, is it gonna be good and helpful? And more than just not saying the wrong thing, God, help us to say the right thing, to fill other people's lives with words of life, to speak them over our sons and our daughters and our friends and our colleagues and the people we sit next to, the people we ride next to, Gather the people that you bring into our lives. May we be a people who speak words of life wherever we go. And now I do pray for those people who have felt permanently damaged by another person's words. And I know what they feel like. Just carry them around like a weight and a burden. But God, you are powerful enough to overcome those stains. Help those people, and they know who they are to allow you to cover those stains up and not rely on another person to do that for them. Remind them that they are loved, that you are valuable, that you are cherished, that you are a son or daughter of the Most High. And God, as we go about our week, may the words of our mouth 
and the meditation of our heart be pleasing to you, O Lord. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. Hey, thanks for coming, everyone. If you like prayer, we'll have a prayer team down in front. Otherwise, we'll see you next week.